So, so last week we looked at Jesus gave him, he gave himself for our sins. That was his heart is us. You know, he gave himself. He willingly went to the cross for our sins because he loves us. And that's what motivated Paul, which is what we look here at number two. It says, Jesus gave himself for my sins. And, and we're looking at um, Galatians 1, 4, and the, the um, 1, 3 through 5. It says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. That's what we looked at last week. To rescue us from the present evil age. Uh, so we're still looking at this. According to the will of God our Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul was... Paul was never the same after his encounter with Christ. And not only was it his, his encounter with Christ that changed his life, but it was the love that Jesus had for Paul that changed his life. And, the, and just the overwhelming gratitude Paul had in his heart that Jesus loved him so much that he would give his life for Paul. And Paul writes about this in Galatians 2, 20 through 21. And we're going to look at this verse in context in the, in the next few weeks. But Paul says, this, this life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And if you would, just circle the, circle the word me in, in your notes. Because I think that's when the truth, you need a book, don't you, Barbara? No, I'll get you one. You sure? Hey, Joni, would you grab Barbara a book? We're going to get you a book. <laughs> you just want to listen. Well, that's fine. You can do that. I think. Absolutely. So, um, so for me, this idea that Jesus gave himself for me, he personalized what Jesus did. And uh, it totally transforms his life. So, so for you and me to, to, to personally um, know that Jesus gave his life for, for you. And to think about that, Jesus gave his life for me. Jesus gave his life for me. He loved me. He loved me. You know, John 3.16 is for God so loved the world, which he does. He loves everybody, but to personalize it in the fact that Jesus loved me. And he gave himself for me. Um, that's an enormous, enormous amount of love. And then Paul, we'll look at this in context too. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Why did Christ die for me, for you? So that we, we, you and I could be righteous. So you and I could be forgiven. So in his death for us, it was to secure for us complete forgiveness and to make us righteous. Because the heart of God is to be in a relationship with us. So for, there, there's a purpose for us being forgiven of all sins, and there's a purpose for us being made righteous. And that purpose is so God can be in relationship with us. And so half the gospel is that, hey, you are forgiven and you're righteous, but the second half of the gospel is so that you, can, you and I can be in relationship with God. And we'll look at more of this as Paul unfolds the gospel in Galatians. So now let's look at Jesus rescues us. So grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. You know, the, re the word rescue means that somebody's in a dangerous situation and they need to be saved. They need to be taken from, from a place of, of danger to a place of, of safety. And, and, and the danger is so great, if I need to be rescued, my life is, is hanging in the balance. You know, that's, that's a true rescue. I need to be rescued. My life is hanging in the balance. And so it says here that Jesus gave himself for our sins. So I needed to be rescued from what sin was doing in my life, which it brought death, it brought darkness, and it, it, it at one point in time separated me from God until Christ paid the penalty for sin. So sin no longer separates anybody from God. What separates somebody from God is not their sin, but unbelief in what Christ did for their sin. Because we find out in 2 Corinthians 5 that, that sin has been removed, that barrier has been removed, that God has reconciled himself to every human being in the world, but now leaves the choice of whether or not people want to be reconciled to God. So sin is no longer a barrier between God and man. 
the only thing that keeps a person from coming to know God personally is, is unbelief in Christ. And that's when Jesus said the sin of the world is unbelief. It's the ultimate sin uh, is, is unbelief or refusing to come to faith in Christ. So he gave himself to rescue us from this present evil age. It is an evil age, and, and, and we, we tend to think, boy, the, the, the longer humanity is in existence, the more evil humanity gets. And so even in Paul's time, he would recognize the culture and see the culture and see what's going on in the world, and he called it this, this present evil age that he was rescued from. Now, the evil that Paul was rescued from was was a religious performance. What was Paul rescued from? He was re rescued from legalism, from effort, from work, trying to, trying to gain something with God, trying to get something with God through personal effort, through, through morality and through religious activity. And he was rescued from religion. Other people are not rescued from religion. They're rescued like we see the woman uh, who came to Jesus at the Pharisee's house who was the sinful, immoral woman who came to Jesus, and she was rescued from prostitution. And so the grace of God finds us wherever we are and rescues us from whatever we need to be rescued from. Ultimately, we all need to be rescued from sin, which is, produces the death and the darkness in our lives. And so um, the present evil age, and, and we've talked about this, that I was having a conversation with my son this morning before coming here, and and he's like, I, I wouldn't bring a child into this world. Now, he's 25 years old. And, and you, you, you hear these, you see, you see the darkness within this world that we live. And I was talking to Kyle because he, he, it was really affecting him. Just the darkness and, and, and the world that we live in and how bad things are. And it was really depressing him. He's 25. He, he, he was getting depressed and discouraged. And as, as I shared with him, I said, Kyle, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people are looking at this darkness within our world and getting hopeless. But the beauty for the believer and for the church is the darker the world gets, the brighter we shine. This is the church's greatest moment. We're in all the generations. This is the church's greatest moment. So we can't get caught up in, oh boy, the political things and what's going on in the White House and what's going on in the world and what's going on with Russia and what's going on with Ukraine and what's going on with their morality and, and get so caught up in, in what's going on in the world because these things have always gone on in the world. They've always gone on in the world. But God's strategy for the church, when he sent Paul on his missionary journeys, his first journeys that he went to was into Galatia was that that churches would be strategically planted in cities all over the world which then would be communication centers of grace and education centers of grace so we would communicate grace to those in, in death and those in darkness grace being all that God's done for us in Christ and then we would educate people about grace and then we would send them back into the darkness into the dead world to communicate grace to those people. So as I was talking to, to, to Kyle, my son, I was just wanting to encourage him. I said, this actually energizes me. It's almost the darker the world gets, the more energized I get because it enables us to share the gospel of grace in a more powerful way because what a dark, dead world leads to is emptiness in the hearts of people. And we're there with the message. And so the beauty of this church is in this dark world and, and we're surrounded by spiritually dead people, outsiders. What's an outsider? An outsider is somebody who's spiritually dead, who is without Christ, who has no hope in the world and no meaning in the world and no purpose in the world, and, they, and they're in danger of dying without Christ and they desperately need to be rescued. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us and he sends us to people to reach those whom he died for. So then our focus is not on how dark the world is and how dead the world is and how bad the world's getting. Our focus is God has given us an amazing opportunity to reach into this dark, dead world that is evil, absolutely, but I've been rescued out of it and sent back into it to reach people. That is something to live for. So rather than talking about how bad things are, 
we're like, great. Things are bad, and we've got the best message in the world to those who are experiencing the badness. So Paul was consumed by the love of Christ for people who are lost. Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. It moves me. It motivates me. And the love of Christ moved Jesus to die on the cross. And so we get the opportunity to take that good news to to a dark, dead world. This leads us to number one. Jesus rescues us from the satanic dominion of darkness. Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 60, verse 2. For behold, darkness covers the earth. And thick darkness is over the peoples or over the nations or over the families of the earth. But the Lord will rise upon you, which he has in the person of Jesus already, and his glory, the person of Jesus, will appear over you. Darkness covers the earth. What does that mean? The the nations of the world don't know why they're here. What we find at the end of the book of Revelation is the healing of the nations. The nations will be healed. God loves the nations. Remember uh, in Genesis chapter 12, he gives the promise to Abraham that you're going to be, your name's going to be great, you're going to have a great, be a great nation, and from you all the nations of the earth or all the peoples of the earth or all the families of the earth, depending on what version you're reading, will be blessed. So the heart of God is to bless the people of the earth, the nations of the earth, and the families of the earth, And we see in Galatians that that blessing is the blessing of his grace given to us in Christ. We'll see that in Galatians chapter 3. So God wants to reach the nations with grace. He wants to reach the people with grace. He wants to reach families with grace. And churches are the God's strategic communication vehicle by which he reaches the families of the earth within the community that that church exists. We get to deliver this good news of grace that was initially promised to Abraham and found its fulfillment in the person of Christ. For behold, darkness, meaningless, hopelessness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord will rise upon you and glory will appear over you. Jesus comes to Paul. We've looked at this verse. I am sending you to them, to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the peoples of the earth, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So what do we know about the people who live on this earth? They're living in darkness and they're under the power of Satan. That's why things get bad. Our our enemy is not people. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 6. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Your enemy, our enemy is not, our, is not people. Our enemy is not Republicans or Democrats or, or this group or that group. They're not our enemies. We're to take the good news of grace because God loves the world to, to people. And so that's what Jesus is assigning Paul here. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to life and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those sanctified by faith in me. So we're taking this good news of grace, all that God's done for us in Christ. We're proclaiming forgiveness to the nations of the world, to the peoples of the world, to the families of the world, to those who live in neighborhoods our neighborhoods. We're, procla- we're proclaiming this good news because they're in darkness. They're in thick darkness. They don't know why they're here, why they exist, what life's about. They're just trying to get from day to day to day. And so we want to be there to share this good news with the outsiders, with the lost, with those who, who don't know Christ. Paul says in Colossians 1, 13 through 14 that he has rescued us. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So we have been rescued and, and that's something we, we, we don't want to ever forget what it's like not to be rescued. But we want to remember what, what would my life be like right now if God had not rescued me in the person of Christ, 
I know, I know and you, you, you would say the same thing, I wouldn't be here. I'm, I would probably be, honestly, I'd be dead, and you would probably say the same thing. But in the grace of God, in the kindness of God, in the goodness of God, he reached down and he rescued us. And rescuing, again, is bringing somebody from a place of danger to a place of safety. So he's, he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness, it says here, from a life without meaning, a life without purpose, a life without hope, a life separated from God. He's rescued us, he's reconciled us to himself in Christ, and he's brought us to safety. A church family, people who love us, people we can get to know better and grow in our relationship with Christ better, who, can, who, who we can grow together with. So we want to... We, Jesus was on a rescue mission, right? I didn't, he said, I come to seek and save those who are lost. To seek and save. He's on a rescue mission. We're the hands of Christ. We're the mouthpiece of Christ. We're the words of Christ. We're the feet of Christ. We're the arms of Christ. We're on a rescue mission. We're about rescuing those who are outside of knowing Christ and bringing them in, in Christ. You, you know the phrase in Ephesians and Colossians, the phrase in Christ. So we want to bring those outside of Christ into a relationship with Christ, into Christ, so that they can experience all that God has done for them in Christ. So he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I cannot be a part of the kingdom of Jesus if my sins aren't forgiven. That's why I talk about forgiveness so much. Paul stresses forgiveness here. We sing, redeem, redeem, redeem by the blood of the Lamb. Well, what does that mean? I'm just singing, forgiven, 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 forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. That, that redemp, redemption and redeem mean I am, I am forgiven. And so, you and I live in the kingdom of the forgiven. We live in the kingdom of grace. The spiritual kingdom of those who are in this family, in this spiritual kingdom, we, we are forgiven. Or I couldn't be in the kingdom. I, could, I can't be in the kingdom of the forgiven, the kingdom of Jesus, if I'm not forgiven. Because I am in the kingdom, I am forgiven, because entry into the kingdom is forgiveness, the blood of Christ. So Jesus rescues us from the satanic dominion of darkness. And then secondly, he rescues us from the sinful condition of death. Paul says in Romans 7, 24 through 25, what a wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When Adam sinned in the garden, death entered the human race, right? Paul expounds on this in Romans chapter 5. Death entered the human race uh, through, through uh, Adam's sin, and he, he shows how death came to every human being, but how by grace Jesus brought life and he brought eternal life. So, so God is on a rescue mission, not only to deliver through Christ, not only to deliver us from the darkness of the world, but to deliver us from death and make us alive in Christ. So we find out in Ephesians chapter 2 that we've been made alive with Christ. We were dead spiritually, but we've been made alive with Christ. So we've been rescued from darkness. That's the hopelessness of life, the meaningless of life. We've been rescued from death. Now in Romans 5 or seven that we just read, this person was an extremely moral person whom he's writing about in Romans 7, uh, 7 through 25, seeking to obey the Ten Commandments. As the more he tried to obey the commandments of God, the more sins he committed. So that he comes to a point in his life, remember he said, he, he, he takes the last commandment Romans chapter of, of Romans of the Ten Commandments in Romans and the, the last commandment is thou shalt not covet. So it's intriguing why Paul would use an illustration of a person who uses the number 10, tenth commandment. And the reason why is all the other commandments are external. This is the only internal commandment. And what he's saying, in coveting, I brought, I've broken every commandment. Remember Jesus said, if you've had lust, you've murdered. Well, I coveted another person's wife in my heart. So I broke the 10th commandment. And by breaking the 10th commandment, I also broke the commandment that said, thou shalt not covet. 
So in his heart, he had broken every commandment by trying not to break the commandments, which led him to a place where he recognized that he was spiritually dead, which is the purpose of the law. The purpose of the Ten Commandments were given so that people would see that they're in the darkness and they're dead and they need the light of Jesus, they need the love of Jesus, and they need the life of Jesus so they can be brought to life. And we'll see that once the commandments have done their job in the life of a person, we don't need that anymore. It's done its job. Just like if I've been healed of sickness, I don't need the x-ray machine anymore. If I've been healed, the x-ray machine's done its job. I'm now cancer-free or whatever the, the, um, the healing that, that's been done. So Jesus rescues us from the darkness of life and from death. We've been rescued. Now he sends us back into this world to rescue those in darkness and to rescue those who are living in death. So we're continuing to look at Galatians 1, 3 through 5. It moves into the will of God our Father. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So it's the will of our God and Father for Jesus to do two things, to give himself for our sins, for my sins, that was the will of God for us, and to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and the condition of death. It's the will of the Father that you and I experience his forgiveness, we experience his new life in Christ, we experience purpose through being reconciled to him so that we can be delivered from darkness and delivered from death. And then Paul sums it up in Galatians 1.5, Glory to God our Father. So grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So glory is seeing the greatness of God resulting in gratitude toward God when we discover the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 4.15 expounds on this. Paul said, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that's extending to or reaching more and more people may overflow in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So Paul's saying here, as the grace of God reaches more and more people, those people whom it reaches and who, are, uh, who understand exactly what grace is, and he talks about the grace of God in the context starting with 2 Corinthians 3, 1, all the way to 2 Corinthians 6, 2. That's a whole thought there. Grace is, is, is where we, the ministry of the Ten Commandments is a ministry of death, and the ministry of the cross and the resurrection is a ministry of life. The law of Moses ministers death to people, and the Spirit of Christ takes the grace of Jesus, and he ministers life to us, bringing forgiveness and bringing righteousness, with, which is what Paul's talking about within the context of, uh, of that verse. So people see how great God is when they see the greatness of his grace. So what we want to do as a church family is we want to highlight his grace because we, part of the mission statement and the vision statement is here is, is we, we want to glorify God. Well, what does that mean? We want to make God look good. No, we don't want to make him look good. We want people to see how good he is. That's what glory is. We want people to see how good God is. How do people see how good God is? when they see his grace. So Paul is saying, all this is for your benefit, so that the grace of God, what God has done for us in Christ, that is reaching more and more people, bringing outsiders in, that is reaching more and more people, may result in thanksgiving overflowing to the glory of God. God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your forgiveness that you've given me in Christ. Thank you for making me righteous. Thank you that you freed me from a religious performance of trying to earn what you're offering me for free. Thank you for rescuing me from the sinful state that I was in, the lifestyle that I was living, the places that I was going. So as we begin to see the grace of God, we begin to see how great he is. Satan's goal is to keep people from seeing how great God is. Because once Satan sees, once people see how great God is, you can't keep people from him. When 
Satan came to Eve in the garden, his first lie was this. You can't trust God. Did God really say? Does God really love you? Is God really good? So he's casting seeds of doubt in the mind of Eve about the love of God and the goodness of God so that they wouldn't see the greatness of God. So if Satan's goal is to keep, is to keep people from seeing the greatness of God, then his strategy to fulfill his vision of keeping people from seeing the greatness of God, his mission is to keep them from learning about the grace of God. So if he can keep people from learning about the grace of God, then they, will see, never be, they won't be able to see the goodness of God. That's why this church exists. We, we exist in a dark world where people are living in the dominion of darkness, and they're spiritually dead. And we're surrounded by outsiders. Paul said in Colossians chapter 4, I believe, he said this, he says, Let your conversation be always full of grace when you're around outsiders. He uses the word outsiders. So Paul says this, you're surrounded by outsiders. Be sensitive when you're surrounded by outsiders. Know their spiritual condition. Know that they're in darkness. Know that they're in death. Know that they have no hope. Know that they have no meaning. Know that they have no purpose. We're surrounded by outsiders. So he says, be sensitive when you're around them and be strategic when you're around them by carefully choosing your words. He says, let your words be seasoned with grace. So what's the best way to rescue an outsider? By letting our words be seasoned with grace. Because they will never buy into the grace that's in our Lord Jesus Christ until they buy into the grace that's in us. And once they experience grace from us, then we've opened up an evangelistic door. We can share with them the grace that's in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to we be, we be, we're surrounded by outsiders. We want to be sensitive to that fact. And then we want to be sensitive. We want to be strategic in the words we use and how we communicate and what we say to people who are lost and who are without Christ. Ephesians 2, 6 through 9 just to sum up a little bit about grace. It is by grace, Paul said, you've been saved. We've been rescued. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might display the surpassing riches of his grace, demonstrated by his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You know what you and I are going to experience in the ages to come? The age to come? We're going we're gonna to always, we're going to be preoccupied with the grace of God. That, that's what it says here. Look what it says. In the coming ages, God might display, God's going to put something on full display in the coming ages so everybody can see. And here's what's going to be his, his display. The surpassing riches of his grace demonstrated by his kindness in Christ Jesus. So if for all eternity, God's going to put on display his grace that he's given us in Christ. That's why I say grace is everything God has done for us in Christ. Because Paul, this is what we get out of Ephesians. A display is put up in this church or in a store to attract attention, right? We don't put up displays unless we have a reason for putting up the display. We want to attract people's attention. We want to send a message through this display. So if for all eternity, God's going to put on full display for everybody to see the grace of God freely given us in Christ, which is his kindness, it says here, to us in Christ. If that's what's going to be on display for all eternity, then that's what needs to be on display now. And that's the beauty of this church. It's, it's we want to put on full display. All the displays that we have are really to... So people can see the ultimate display. The ultimate display is the grace God's given us in Christ. That's what we want people to see. Because it rescues them from darkness and it brings them to life. And so all of our displays are, have a purpose to it. So that we can lead people. We want, people to, we want to see the lives of people transformed by the grace of God. That's our vision. That, that's, that's what ultimately we want to see. So everything that we do... Every mission, every effort, every um, ministry 
is to fulfill the great vision, is, which is to see the lives of people transformed by the grace of God. And everything we do is to fulfill that, that one thing. And then God gets the glory. Wow, look how great God is. And lives begin to change. This is the message that captivated the Galatian people. Turn to page 49. The message of grace quickly captivated the Galatian church, the people. But as, as quickly as they were captivated by grace, religious people from Jerusalem find their way to Galatia and capture the people with law. So people who were once captivated by the grace that's in our Lord Jesus Christ became captured by these legalists the law, with the law of Moses. So let's take a look at this. Paul, that's the whole reason he, Paul writes this letter. So he, talk, he starts off with the problem, which is deserting grace. Paul said, I'm, I'm amazed how quickly you are deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel, which is not even a gospel. Now, why was Paul amazed? Because they quickly deserted grace. Now, where does that come from? It comes from Acts chapter 13. Paul had gone into the missionary journey. He had gone into Pisidian Antioch. He had gone into Lystra. He had gone into Derbe. And he had gone into Iconium, which are the four cities of the Galatian region. And as he goes into these cities and he's, he's, he's sharing the gospel of grace, which we've looked at really, really heavily over the past five or six weeks, this message totally changed their lives like this. They, they were changed by the good news of the gospel of grace, all that God did for us in Christ, leaving us nothing to do but only receive by faith what he's done. But just as quickly as they embraced grace, they returned to law. And Paul got word of it. News came back to Paul. Paul, do you know what's happening in the Galatian churches? Have you heard what's happening in Pisidian Antioch, in Lystra, in Derby, in Iconium? Paul said, no, I haven't. What's going on? He said, well, the Judaizers have made their way from Jerusalem. And I can hear Paul say, well, that doesn't surprise me. Because they were, they were on his hills wherever he went or tried to beat him to where he was going to demolish him and destroy his reputation and to slander him. And once Paul heard about that, he wrote a letter to the Galatians. And so he, he, he tells him, I'm amazed how quickly you, those in Iconium and Lystra and Derby and Pisidian Antioch, you're deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. I'm amazed, I'm shocked, I, I'm bewildered. He said, I can't believe it. And you're turning to a different gospel, which is not even a gospel. Now, what was the gospel they were turning to? Well, once we see the gospel in its purity, there's a lot of different gospels. There's a, there's a multitude of different Gospels, but there's only one Gospel. The Gospel that Paul preached is what, we, uh, what Jesus told him to preach. I want you to go into the Gentile cities, and I want you to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. That those who have placed their faith in me receive forgiveness and are justified or sanctified by faith in me. Made righteous, declared to be righteous by faith. By faith. That's the simple. The gospel is so, so simple. And it's Jesus died for all of our sins because he loved us and he gave himself for all of our sins so that there's no sins left to be counted against me because they were all counted against Christ. Jesus became sin for me and you so, so we could become righteous in Christ so that we could be in a relationship with God. The moment I add something to this, I subtract from it. There's a lot of false gospels out there that are adding to the work of Christ. And what we'll hear from people, and some of y'all have heard this, is, hey, you're making it too easy. Which tells me something that I'm not making the gospel clear enough. Because when somebody does a work, we say, wow, that was really hard to do, or that was easy to do. But the common phrase in both of them is to do. 
easy to do communicates there's something you have to do. Paul doesn't use the word easy when communicating the gospel. He uses the word free. Romans chapter 3, he uses the word free. The gospel is free. It's, it's, there's nothing, it's not about it's easy. It's free. And if it's free, it means this. Somebody else has done the work. Somebody else has paid the price. Somebody else is offering to me something that I had nothing to contribute to at all. So it's not easy. It's free. One of the, the benefits of being on staff at Grace Fellowship is we get a free membership to Lifestyle Fitness. And so I went up, the other, uh, up there the other day, and it, it hit me. It's like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't go to the owner of Lifestyle Fitness and say, hey, will you give me a, a membership? So I didn't initiate it. I didn't ask for it. It was offered to me that the owner of Lifestyle is offering to the staff of this church a free membership. So it, it's not, boy, it sure was easy for you to, to become a member of Lifestyle. No, what, no, no. It was free. It was free. He's paying my membership. The owner of Lifestyle is paying my membership. And it's being proclaimed to me and offered to me. And all I have to do is show up by faith, believe it to be true, and enjoy the benefits of the membership. That's grace. It's free. There are benefits of grace. And by faith, we receive it and we enjoy it. That's why Paul uses the word faith over 19 times in Galatians. Because faith receives what's free. And free is what God has done for us in Christ. None of us asked Jesus to die for us on the cross. God's not waiting on any of us to, any of us to say, please forgive me. God's doing all the work. He's taking all the initiative. He's saying, here's my forgiveness purchased for you in Christ. It's free, it's full, it's forever, and it's final. And I want you to buy faith to receive it. And then once you receive it, you're members in my family, and I want you to enjoy being in this grace family forever. That's the good news of the gospel. It's simple. But the religious mind has a really tough, tough time with it because they want to earn something. That's why they say, oh, you're making it too easy. They want to earn it. They, it's something about the flesh of humanity that wants to earn something. But grace in its fullness and the cross in its fullness strips us of all human pride and all human effort and says, I have nothing to contribute. He contributed everything. And so by faith, I'm going to receive what he's done. So these Judaizers came in with a totally different message. They were, they were mixing it all together. Yeah, Jesus died for your sins, but... So you know you've encountered a false gospel when the word but is followed up with the real gospel. Yeah, I know it's faith in Jesus, and I know it's free, but you're about to hear a false gospel. And it's going to take a lot of different forms. So I don't need to know all the false gospels that are out there. I just need to know the real gospel that's in, in Scripture. And once I know the real gospel that's in Scripture... I can defend this gospel against any false presentation that's out there because the difference in the real gospel and the false gospels is this adds nothing to the cross and the rest adds something to the cross. And so they were adding to the cross in Galatia. And the people were falling for it. They were returning to the law. Oh, well, you know, Paul said it was free and full and final and forever and you receive it by faith. But these people are saying, well, we have to observe this on the calendar, and we have to observe this ritual, and we have to do this, and, 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 and here's the list of things you have to do. And so Paul writes this letter to counteract what these false preachers were doing. Paul said, I do not set aside the grace of God. That's what they were doing in Galatia. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So the people went away from righteousness by faith, by trusting to a righteousness by trying. A, a righteousness that's free to a righteousness where you have to follow a formula or a calendar or some kind of religious activity or work. And so they were turning back to the law. He writes about this effort of trying in Galatians 5.4. 
you who are trying to be justified by the law, that's religious activity and morality, you've severed yourself from Christ, or you're not depending upon Christ. You have fallen from grace. So to fall from grace doesn't mean to slip into a lifestyle of sin. To fall from grace means to slip into a religious system, into a moral system, where I think that my obedience to this religious system and to this moral system merits me, earns me righteousness or right standing with God. And, I, and I've fallen away from grace. Or I'm not depending upon what God did for me in Christ. I'm now depending on maybe a little bit on Jesus and now a little bit on me. And I've mixed the two together. So the false preachers were distorting grace. Paul said, evidently, some people are troubling you, confusing you, bothering you, and they're, tr and they're, they're and trying to distort the gospel of Christ. So the gospel of Christ is the gospel of grace. Remember the gospel that Jesus gave Paul in Acts 24? Paul said, I, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If I only may finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. So the gospel of Christ is the gospel of, of grace. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be under a curse. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you embraced, let him be under a curse. Here's what the false teachers were saying. If you don't live by our law, you're under the curse of the law. If you don't live by observing what the law of Moses says to observe, even though Jesus had initiated the new covenant, which means the old covenant had come to an end, they were still wanting the people to live under the old covenant of law. He says, Paul was saying, let me tell you who's really under the curse. It's not those who are not adding the law or who are adding the law to grace. It's those who are telling people to add, add law to grace. There, Paul, Paul was not really happy here. And we see later in Timothy that his whole demeanor begins to change. Uh, you, you see, hey, 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 Timothy, be patient with these people. Uh, be kind to them. Share the gospel with these religious people. And maybe God will grant them repentance so that they can turn from satanic lies that, where you're adding something to the gospel and find freedom that's theirs in Christ. Um, so Paul had grown and matured a lot, I think, within this time, but he was not happy with what was going on in Galatia. And then Paul's the true preacher of grace. He defends grace. So the people were deserting grace, the false preachers were distorting grace, and Paul, the true preacher, is defending grace. Paul says, am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. What did Jesus send Paul to do? Tell people about the gospel of grace. All right. That's how he was serving Christ, by sharing the gospel of grace with people. For I certify to you, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not according to man. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. We're going to find out in, in Galatians, I think Paul is right here. I think he's, Peter was seeking the approval of the leaders from Jerusalem. We're going to, Bar, uh, Barnabas was seeking, Peter and Barnabas were seeking the approval of these leaders from Jerusalem. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 that, that Barnabas and Peter deserted the very grace that started the churches in Galatia that were growing the churches in Galatia, but when these Judaizers came, they deserted the very grace that was the seeds that started this church because they wanted the approval of the religious leaders from Jerusalem, which Paul says in Galatians 4 had become, sadly in his heart, had become a city that was producing legalists, a city that was that wasn't embracing the grace of Christ. We find about this in, in Galatians 4. So Paul is saying, listen, 
if my ministry is about making, is about people being happy with my message, then I never will preach the gospel of grace. Because the majority of, of even in our time, from, from my experiences, the majority of Christian leaders that I've been around, pastors, teachers, they're afraid of the gospel. They're ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because they crave the acceptance of their denominational leaders, of their deacons, of their elders. And as long as a pastor craves the acceptance and the approval of those he answers to, then he will water down the gospel more than likely. And so Paul's ultimate, the person whom Paul ultimately answered to for his message was no man on earth, was Jesus himself. And so that's what I've tried to do in my ministry. I want to respect the people I, who are maybe I'm accountable to in, in my ministry. I want to respect the people who... Um, Wherever, I, I want to respect people, but not to the degree that I crave their acceptance and fail to preach the gospel. And that's where Paul was. You talking about being alone? He was alone. He was preaching a gospel, and he was being slandered, and he was being ridiculed, and he, his reputation was ruined everywhere he went. But everywhere he went, lives were changing. They were changing. Lives were being transformed. It was unbelievable what was his ministry was producing. And so the leaders were trying to shut him down. And so this was happening in Galatia. So that's what's going on in Galatia. Um, let's turn to, to teaching number six on page 55. So Paul has to defend himself now. He has to defend his message and he has to defend his ministry. And so on page 55, teaching number 6, Paul's timeline for learning about grace. We'll read this again. For I certify to you, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not according to man. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He's about to prove that. That's now, now he's moving down uh, in Galatians to, to, to defend where his message came from and what his message is. And why he will not back down for even a moment on the good news of the, good news of the, of the gospel of grace. So Paul, Paul get, begins giving a chronological history of his life. And he starts off with, and these numbers, if you look at different timelines of, the Paul, of Paul's life, these numbers will fluctuate. And so these are just, you know, perhaps somewhere around A.D. 34. But they fluctuate depending on what his Bible historian uh, you, you know, we go to read to learn some more about Paul's timeline. Paul learns about the law of Moses. A, Paul learned about the law from Gamaliel. Galatians 1.13, For you have heard my former way of life in Judaism, so he was very steep in the law of Moses, how severely I persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it. So he was at one time extremely passionate about the law, religious activity and morality. Then Paul declared, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but raised in this city of Jerusalem. I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel in strict conformity to the law of our fathers. Acts 5.34, but a, Pharisee's name, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a short time. So when Paul threw out this name, Gamaliel, it was extremely strategic because he knew that this was the most respected teacher in the law of Moses in Israel. Everybody knew this teacher. And Paul is saying, I learned from the absolute most respected teacher of the law in all of Jerusalem. And he, and he would tell the people, and you know that. I was advancing in Judaism. I was his star pupil in the law. So that when I tell you Jesus himself is the Christ and the Messiah and his grace has changed my life, you've got to believe this. Because me out of all people would not desert law and go to grace. 
That's against everything I've ever learned. That's against my upbringing. That's against my education. That's against what my father taught me. That's against everything that was in every fiber of my being was to walk according to the law. But then grace came. And my life has changed. And he said, you got to believe it. That's why he says in his letter sometimes, I am not lying. I am not lying. Because people were calling Paul a liar. He's just a liar. He never, Jesus never appeared to Paul. He never got this message from Jesus. He's lying about all this. So Paul was very lonely in his communication of the gospel of grace. So Paul was advancing as a student of the law. We see this in Galatians 1.14. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. So Paul learned about the law of Moses and the family he grew up in, and the education system he was a part of, but then he learns about grace from Jesus. We'll read this verse again, Galatians 1, 11 through 12. For I certify to you, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not according to man. And preached is past tense. Preached where? In Pisidian Antioch, in Iconium, in Derbe, and in Lystra, Acts 13 and 14. He's taking them back to the gospel that they heard out of his mouth, which then compelled them to invite the whole city to hear about grace. Now they've abandoned the grace that they once invited the whole city to come hear about. So he's in shock. So I preached it's not according to man. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. So he's trying to convince them, where did this message come from? Because it was so radical. It was so different. Nobody ever heard this before. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Liar. That's what, liar. That's what Paul, they would say about Paul. You're lying. So Paul is given chronological, and that's what the Judaizers were telling the people in Galatia. Hey, this Paul guy that y'all are inviting people out to hear, you know he's a liar. You can't trust him. That's the satanic message through these religious people to trying to suppress the gospel of grace. Because Satan don't, didn't, don't want people to see how good God is, so he's got to keep the grace of God from them. So they're, 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 they're suppressing grace by slandering Paul. So Paul did not learn about grace from any person. You can strike through A.D. 34 there. It may confuse you. Um, Galatians 1, 15 through 16, Paul says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I, here's what I want us to see, I did not rush to consult with flesh and blood. Paul didn't go to Jerusalem to make sure that his message was okay or to learn from those in Jerusalem. He didn't go to James. He didn't go to Peter. He didn't go to John. He didn't go to, to anybody. We're on, if you're looking, uh, I'm, I'm skipping all my commentary notes in there. Um, so we're, we're B, uh, Paul did not learn about grace from the apostles in Jerusalem. Or that's about to get to be. So he didn't consult with anybody. Hey, teach me about Jesus. He didn't go to anybody to get this message. Jesus came to him and said, Paul, here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Here's what I want you to teach. Here's where I want you to teach it. And then Paul began communicating this message in city, in Gentile cities. Paul did not learn about grace from the apostles in, in Jerusalem. You can scratch out 8037. That might be confusing too. Paul said, nor did I go to Jerusalem to the apostles who came before me. No, he said, nobody on this earth taught me the gospel of grace. No human being taught me what I'm telling you, Paul said. And, and, the, and those in Jerusalem contribute nothing to my gospel, contribute nothing to my message. I did not learn it from them. I learned it from Jesus. Paul chronologically is giving his life after his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Only after three years, only after what is the question? After Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. So after three years, now we're in about A.D. 37. Only after three years did I go to Jerusalem to confer with Cephas or with Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that, here we go, 
What I am writing to you is no lie. Now, why would he have to say that? Because the, the Judea, he's answering the Judaizers in that statement. I know these Judaizers are telling you that I'm a liar. I know they're, they're saying that I didn't even see Jesus, that I'm lying about that. I'm lying about the message that he gave me, and, and I'm, a, I'm a master manipulator. And they came in slandering Paul. So he's having to defend his message and the fact that he's a messenger sent from Jesus, which is why he opens up in Galatians 1, an apostle sent from Jesus. That's why he opens up at Galatians 1. Nobody sent me, and nobody told me what to say. Jesus sent me, and he told me what to say. He says, and I'm not, I'm not lying to you. Um, later, A.D. 37 through 47, Paul says, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown, however, the churches of Judea that are in uh, However, to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And this is Galatians 1, 22 through, 30, through 24. They only heard the account. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And we move to see. Paul learned about grace from Jesus in Arabia and Damascus. So he's chronologically giving the order of his life. But I went into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. So here's what he's saying. After Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus, I didn't consult any human being about what I should be preaching or teaching people. I didn't go to Jerusalem to those who are pillars of the Messianic church in Jerusalem. He said, I went to Arabia. And I spent time in Arabia and then came back to, to Damascus. And that's where many Bible scholars believe that Jesus appeared to Paul and gave him the, the, the true message of the gospel of grace. Because Paul's letters take up the majority of the New Testament. His letters is where we go to learn about what Christ did on the cross. We learn about the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as it relates to Israel and him coming as Messiah. But we really learn about what happened at the cross, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. That, that's, that's where we really get the content of what the cross achieved for you and I that now God's offering to us for free. So where did Paul get this? He got it from Jesus. When did he get it? Well, we know he got it in the time probably that he spent in Arabia, but he also had other revelations of grace, Paul's revelations of grace. Let's look at some of these revelations. The first revelation is on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen from me, and here's what I want us to see, and what I will show you. So it seems to indicate here that Paul was going to have additional revelations from Jesus. You've seen this in me on the road to Damascus, but I'm going to show you more. I'm going to unveil to you more. I'm going to give you more insight and more understanding into what happened at the cross into the gospel of grace, into bringing Jew and Gentile into one family of grace, into starting churches all over the Roman Empire, those churches that would become cities of light to those in the darkness, or churches of light to those in the darkness, and churches of life to those surrounded uh, in the church who are in death. Ongoing revelation. So let's look at some of these ongoing revelations. Paul writes about it here. Later, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, Paul said, I fell into a trance, and I saw the Lord saying to me, Hurry, leave Jerusalem quickly because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I answered, they know very well that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Then he said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This was a, another conversation that Jesus and Paul had. Here's another one he writes about in Acts 23, 11. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you, almost, so you also must testify about me in Rome. Here's another revelation. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, 
After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, which we looked at last week, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this drink, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 2 Corinthians 3, 3 through 6, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul says, My ministry is not that of the Ten Commandments. My ministry is that of the New Covenant, that of the Spirit of Christ, writing the truths of what Christ did for us on our hearts. That's, that's the ministry that Paul was given. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence or our ability to do something this well comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Now, how did God make Paul competent as a communicator of the new covenant? Through these personal revelations from Jesus. Jesus explained to Paul. He educated Paul. He helped Paul tie in the old covenant to the new covenant so that, so that we, we could see that the new co old covenant was always pointing to Jesus always pointing to Jesus and, and, and Paul was educated about that so he became competent more revelation Ephesians 3 1 through 3 Paul said for this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly Galatians 1, 11 through 12. For I certify to you, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not according to man. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And then Acts 20, 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul got these ongoing revelation about what is grace. What exactly is grace? For me, I, I, I'd sung amazing grace a thousand times. And I knew grace was amazing. I just didn't know what made grace so amazing. Um, I could define grace as God's unmerited favor, but I had no idea what the favor was that was unmerited. I knew the acronym for grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I had no idea what the riches were. What changed my life was understanding why grace was so amazing, what the unmerited favor of grace was, and what the riches of God's grace is. That totally as a believer in Christ, as a person on staff with, to me, one of the greatest Christian organizations in the world, Campus Crusade for Christ, love Campus Crusade. But when God showed me grace in Scripture, it totally, 100%, in three hours, when I took off from Denver in an airplane, going back to Mobile, Alabama, when I lived in the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and I was reading a book by Bob George called Classic Christianity, where he explains the gospel. When I landed in Mobile, my life was 100% transformed. I'd been in hundreds of services. I'd heard thousands of sermons. I'd been in more small group meetings than I could count. I'd been in so many strategic meetings of how are we going to reach the community and how are we going to reach the campus and all these strategies. And, 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 and there's value in all that. But the value that changed my life was the gospel of grace. That totally um, did something inside of me. That's why we have to share this message. There, because, think about it, there are people in darkness and there are people who are dead. So we don't have time to complain about how dark the darkness is getting and how more dead the dead people are living. That's just the nature of things. We don't have time to even think about that. 
but we have time to reach those in darkness. We have time to reach those who are dead. So the excitement now of understanding, wow, things are getting darker, great. We can shine brighter, not in legalistic Phariseeism. We're more moral than you are. We're more pre- No, we're not. We're sanctified by the blood of Christ. That's why we have uh, any kind of hope. I don't have time to criticize those who are... That's what dead people do. That's what those living in the darkness do. This is how they live. So we've, we've got to go rescue those who don't even know they need to be rescued. And, 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 and love them with the love of Christ. That's why Paul said the love of Christ compels me. And this is what Paul said. How did Paul view the outsider? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Right around verses 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, somewhere there. Paul said, the love of Christ compels me because I'm convinced that one died for all. So when Paul saw somebody, he didn't see a Democrat or Republican. He didn't see where they were a doctor or a lawyer or they were a tax collector or where they were... He didn't see them based upon their external titles or their external behavior. He said, I'm convinced that one died for all. So when Paul saw somebody, he didn't label them Democrat, Republican. Oh, they're making the world worse. He said, oh, that's somebody whom Jesus died for. That's somebody who Christ died for. And I've got to deliver the good news of grace to that person because they are dead and in darkness and they need Jesus. That was his, that's, that's what compelled him. So he said, he said, the love of Christ compels me. I'm convinced that one died for all. Therefore, he said, I see no one from an eternal with eternal, from, from, from a temporal standing. He said, I don't see anyone from, from the flesh, he said. I don't look at people from a fleshly perspective. Democrat, Republican, doctor, lawyer, wealthy, poor, uh, making the world worse, making the world better. He said, that's not how I view the world. Paul viewed the world through the eyes of Jesus. And when Paul looked at people, he said, do they know Christ? Because that's somebody who Christ whom Christ died for. That's how he viewed people. And the way to make a dark world brighter is to reach the lost. So rather than cursing the darkness, we want to communicate the grace to the lost, and we just made their dark world brighter. We made their home brighter. We made them brighter, better fathers and mothers just by loving people and loving the lost. And so it's really having a heart for that outsider, those who are outside of Christ and then the opportunity to share the grace of God.